Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Lower and once you're in a Donaldson, Lish, and if I got in, I can hear Lord Jeffrey the the dinner be. Me head will impose his shock on Ian Rodiano when he wear a lestad car Lish no budge book a shoot. Skilty, fis, turmi. Ni majigiri in drama honyal ama, tamajigiri majhen honyal esta. Shachtan, find us on all the usual podcast platforms. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919, 1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the Indo Daily, you can follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm starting to pack my stuff and I have to sell the majority of the stuff I have because I've nowhere to store them. Today on the Indo Daily, Voices of Eviction. All I keep thinking about like is where I'm going to go. Where am I, where are we going to go? There's no um, emergency accommodation. Chloe and her three-year-old son have been evicted and will be made homeless on Saturday week. She wants the politicians to hear her story. I think that I, I, I would have told them to just maybe bring the eviction ban back in place until they have built more social homes for the likes of me. We're now well into the first week without an eviction ban in place and Chloe is just one of 7,000 households facing having to move from their home in the coming months. We've been in this house for nearly five years. We've paid well over 95,000 in rent in that time. Didn't have a car because we thought if we bought one it would you know, take us further from our goal of getting our deposit together. I went to one viewing where there was no window in the room, another viewing where there was a window, but it was boarded up. What I realised after was the window actually opened into the communal bathroom and there was something like six people living in the house. I'm Kevin Doyle, and today on the Indo Daily, I speak to Chloe and others who are facing the reality of eviction. And to Philip Ryan, political editor of the Irish Independent, about the political damage the government have suffered on the back of their decision to lift the ban. Philip Ryan, we're days into the eviction ban being lifted now. It has caused a political foray that we haven't really seen about many things in recent years. Is there still no chance that the government will back down on this? Well, I think there's two two ways of looking at that. One, we haven't actually seen the actual impact just yet of the eviction van. We haven't seen the evictions. We know they're coming. We know the, the numbers there are going to be large, but we haven't actually seen people pushed out on the streets. That could change the dynamic entirely when that happens or if that happens. The other side of it is the government have clearly made a decision that they're not going to go back on. And when you look at the centrist parties that are in government, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, they're looking at the electorate. They're thinking some of the electorate are people who own houses and they are landlords. And a lot of the time, they're our voters. And on the other side, if you're a renter or if you're a young person struggling at home um, to still living with your parents, you probably aren't voting for Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. So they've made this kind of choice that um, that the, the electorate that they'll see will vote for them is probably the electorate that benefits most from the eviction ban. We say we haven't seen the effects of this yet. Well, 
I'm going to talk to some people who are already very worried about it and they're feeling the effects even if they haven't physically had to leave their houses yet. Chloe Nicredon, you have a three-year-old boy, Sonny, and you have only days to figure out where you're going to live because your eviction notice has been served for the 15th of April. You're living in a two-bed house in Dungarvan in County Waterford. What has the search for somewhere to move to been like for you? Um, really, really difficult. Um, I've been looking since June of last year and there's just been absolutely nothing at all to rent. I've actually, the few houses that have come up on Daft and that I, I've emailed them, I've rang and if I'm 100% honest, I haven't heard anything back. The last place I inquired about was, um, I think it, I think it was four one thousand four hundred and fifty, and I know that's over my budget, but I'm still trying to see if I can even get a reply back or even a phone call to just say, look, my budget's only a thousand. Would you consider, or would it be any way possible? But I haven't been hearing anything back at all. You got notice last June from your landlord that he wanted to sell the property. Is that right? And you were originally supposed to have to move at the end of January, but the the temporary eviction ban gave you a couple of extra months. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, I originally had to be out the end of January and then the eviction ban gave me a little bit more time to search for rented accommodation, but... Yeah, that's that's gone now on Saturday. I'm starting to pack my stuff and I I have to sell the majority of the stuff I have because I've nowhere to store them. So we're just really packing our clothes and stuff. You do receive the HAP payment and you're on the social housing list, but neither of that is really opening up any options at the minute. No, it's definitely not. Um, so... When I had Sonny, um, obviously the house was overcrowded and that's how I got accepted onto HAP. So luckily enough, I got the house that I'm in now. That landlord um, accepted HAP. And have, I presume you have been pe- speaking to people or, or groups that can try and offer you any help. I've actually been in contact with Focus. Look, they have, they've been very, very kind and helpful, but... Then they had said, like, oh, look, we're going to see now if, you, if you'll qualify for the homeless HAP, which means it's an extra €100. Euro. So it was um, €650 you're, you're, I'm, I'm entitled to. So now it's 750 but it's it's near here or there, like, because there's no... It's still not enough yeah, it's in, still in not terms enough. of what you're looking at. Um, a lot of the properties I have been seeing lately, like, that one I looked or I emailed about last week, like it was 1,450. That's the cheapest I've seen in a long time. The rest of them are 1,800. And <sighs> so that's more than twice your budget. It's impossible, really. I yeah. can tell even this is obviously very stressful for you. You've obviously been carrying this stress for a while now if you've been looking for months. I I had to terminate from my job because it's hard enough on my own with my little boy but then having to deal with this and like 
I never thought that this I'd, I'd even be in this situation and now I am and all I keep thinking about like is where I'm going to go where am I where are we going to go focus then are telling me that there's no there's no um, emergency accommodation in Waterford in County Waterford there's 119 families were becoming homeless in April and now since the ban has been lifted I'm sure there's thousands more like there there was eight emergency accommodations available in Waterford and they're gone and I, I said to the girls in focus like where am I going on the 15th and they said like Chloe you're going to have to link in with family or friends and I said I, I've, try, I've tried to talk to people and just be like look it's okay if not because I have to I have to respect them as well because a lot of them are saying like, oh, like, how long will it be for Chloe? And, do you know, like, will we be reported for having extra people in our homes? Will our money be affected if we take you and if we take the two of you in? And, like, I don't know who to talk to anymore, who to get any more advice off. So as we are here kind of little over a week from that deadline of the 15th of April, where do you think you are going to end up on that day? I don't know. I do not know. And how do you protect or insulate your little boy, Sonny, from all of this? So hard. It's so hard. Like, he doesn't really, I don't talk about it, override him or anything. Like, he, he, he doesn't know what's going on. But, like, it's, you can be sure it's going to affect his little head. Like, I'm going to, obviously, I'm going to try and ring focus again this week. And they said that. We're going to try and ring your landlord and see if she'll leave you there for another couple of weeks. But I had told her that I've done that already. I've texted her and asked her and she had said that, like, Chloe, I'm so sorry. I can understand the situation you're in, but I, I cannot, I, I can't do anything for you. She said it's, it's costing what it's costing them to even rent the house out. That's what they're struggling with, they said. So I did mention as well that I'm now I'm now um I've now been accepted for homeless hap. So I said even if you put up the rent and I gave you a thousand euro a month rather than seven fifty, would that be an option? But she read the message and she didn't reply, so just kinda guessed that that was a no. And Chloe, if you could sit down in a room with a minister or some of the politicians in Leinster House that have a say over the politics of all of this, what would you say to them? Um, I think that, I think I, I think that I, I, I would have told them to just maybe bring the eviction ban back in place until they have built more social homes for the likes of me that's waiting for a, a social house. Um, but I can understand, like, it's not fair on landlords either. Like, I know it's not them that's caused this problem. It's the government. Um, they, they mustn't have any hearts at all because uh, there's going to be so many kids not only kids but all elderly people and the likes of me young like I'm only 28 and like I said I never thought that something like this would happen to me Philip Ryan you can hear the emotion there from Chloe and 
She said she feels as if the politicians in Leinster House, where you spend all your days, have no hearts. Have they lost sight of the people in this crisis? The, those really human stories that, like, God, like poor, poor Chloe there. Does it, you see, this is the reality of it. You hear a lot of these stories being called out by opposition parties in, in the Dáil. You hear, them, you, you hear them talk about it. But when you listen to Chloe there, that's... That's real life. That's that's the, the the cold front. That's that's someone facing eviction in just a matter of days, and you would wonder if the politicians are really listening to the stories. Do do the the Taoiseach, the Tarnish, the Green Party leader? Do they think of this, or do they talk to people in these situations just before they sit down and make policy decisions? And from listening to Chloe, you would have to think they they haven't in this situation, and. If Chloe is one of like 7,000 people across the country potentially facing similar circumstances, you'd have to say this government is in big trouble. And it strikes me, Philip, that the last few days there has been an awful lot of talk about a spice bag or an artist called Spice Bag and a picture that Ono Vrin of Sinn Féin had tweeted, which kind of was harking back to famine times and and, uh, the landlord classes and evictions. Like that seems like such a vacuous row when you hear stories like this? Look, that whole row over some picture, a, a badly photoshopped image that was put on Twitter um, and you had government parties jumping in on top of it. You had Fine Gael um, ministers making a big deal about it. It just shows the ridiculousness of such a petty little row over what essentially was uh, a picture on social media when you have people like Chloe who are facing situations like that in real life. Rebecca O'Reardon, you're married with two children. You lived in Dublin, but you moved to Cork for cheap, cheaper rent. And now you find yourself having been served with a notice to quit, wondering where you're going to live later this year. So we've been in this house for nearly five years. Um, we are paying €2,000 a month in rent. So we've paid well over 95000 in rent in that time. Um, we have been saving our deposit for you know, over 10 years at this point. We've been paying private rental accommodation for over 10 years and we're actually so close. The end was in sight. We were we were going to have our deposit by January when we got our notice that we have to be out by August. And what is the landlord's reasoning for giving you a notice to leave? They're selling the property. So there's no comeback for you. It's just the reality that you have to go find somewhere else. So what does that mean? What have you been trying to do? Um, so we've been on daft and basically there's just there's nothing there we have one child who goes to school a five minute walk from our house and then we have another child who's starting in a a special school on the other side of the city in September so that child would be entitled to school transport but the you know the, the deadline for applying for school transport is April 28th and we have no idea where they should be picked up from because we have no idea where we're going to be living um, we've been to Threshold, we've been to Citizens Advice, we have been to the City Council. Um, you know, like I'm, I'm a law student by night, I'm doing property law at the moment. I keep hearing all these announcements coming out and I'm just sitting there going, wow, who knew you could do all these things without any legislation to back it up? You know, it's it's beyond frustrating. It really is. And you've had, this is your third time, uh, your th- 
that you have rented, your third different property, am I right, in the last decade. What was it like previously when you had to go and find a house for yourself and your family? Um, it has gotten worse and worse as the years have gone by. We are extremely lucky in that, you know, we we aren't on the social housing list. We're not in receipt of HAP. It's been a struggle at times, but we've always been able to meet the private rental prices. Um, I suppose I dread to think what other people are going through in that regard, because I suppose even when we came to view this place, we would have brought along copies of both of our bank statements, letters from both of our employers to state that we were in uh, secure full-time employment, uh, letters from previous landlords, you know, everything short of a pint of blood to get in in the door of this place. Like that was five years ago. It's almost like doing a job interview, isn't it? I, I, to be honest with you, I have never had a job interview that was half as intense as trying to get into a rental property. That's the truth. And do you feel that because you mentioned you don't really qualify for any of the local authority supports, the government supports that are here because your family income is above the thresholds for that? Do you think that actually makes it harder? Would it be easier perhaps if your income was a little bit less and maybe you would fall into that space? And I know you have a lot of medical costs because you, your little girl, Emma, um, has some some disabilities that you need to spend a lot of money in, in medical care as well. I'd be hesitant to kind of say, oh, poor me, because in fairness, I suppose the, at the end of the day, we can afford to, to we can afford to get on a plane and leave the country. Is it, an, is it frustrating that at this point that's the only option left for us? We've paid over the 95,000 in rent over the past five years, but we've also spent at least 20,000, if not 30,000 on disability services that just don't exist. And that's the extra burden on top. That's that's the other mortgage that you have to pay in in, in epilepsy alarms and in speech and language therapy and in for assessments and all this kind of thing that should be private, that should be available through the public system, but isn't available. We're just stuck between a rock and a hard place because you have to do all, you have to pay for all of these things while the services are collapsing around you. But then you also have to save between thirty and 40,000 and never go into your overdraft. It's a completely, it's an unachievable goal where the goalposts move every six months for the past 10 years. And I know you want to stay in Cork, but you talk about emigration there. Is that some? Is that an option that is on the table when you and your husband sit down at night and try to figure all of this out and where you're going to be in not just 12 months, I guess, but two or three years time from here? Honestly, I wish it wasn't because, you know, both of our families are from Cork and we remember what it was like when we lived in Dublin. We didn't, we, you know, we kept our heads down the whole time that we were in Dublin because we thought that if we just worked harder, that we'd get there someday. Um, you know, we had put our son into creche full time. You know, we used to be out of the house seven to seven, five days a week, too exhausted at the weekend to go anywhere. Didn't have a car because we thought if we bought one, it would, you know, take us further from our goal of getting our deposit together. And now we've come back to Cork, we're around our family, we can see the benefits of being around family for our kids. And the reality is that there is no other option left to us because none of these schemes cover us. What about Rebecca's point as you listen to her there? There's not a lot in terms of the government keeps saying they are doing all these different schemes. There's not a lot necessarily for her because her family have what she would consider a decent income. 
Yeah, look, she falls um, into a, a trap that a lot of people fall into, that so-called squeeze middle. Uh, they feel that they're being paying for everything and get nothing back. The, there, are, there are some things the government are looking at in the current round of uh, safety nets, as they're calling them, for people in similar circumstances as herself. If her landlord, I, I think, as she said, is planning to sell the house that she's living in under the, the government scheme that is being developed, well, that she'll be able to have first refusal on that property when the, the, the landlord goes to sell it. They, well, what would happen in practice is that uh, she would go to a valuer and get a value for the house. The landlord would go and get an independent valuation as well. They'd come together. They'd kind of try work it out between them. And then if, if, if the, the, and, and hopefully all going well, they'd, they'd get a resolution and they could agree a price. And then there would be time to go get a mortgage, et cetera. If they can't agree a price, with the landlord cannot sell it then the house for a price lower than what uh, Rebecca was offering. Which is all great if you can actually afford to have that deposit and buy the house. Whereas I think people like Rebecca are paying a lot of rent. That's very hard to be at the point of actually buying. I want to talk now to Podrick Wilson-McCarty. Podrick, you're 29 and you're a school teacher, a primary teacher on the north side of Dublin. Once upon a time, being a teacher was a, a pretty good job and a young teacher in Dublin, no less. But you're struggling to even find a house share. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm actually finding it really difficult, Kevin, to be honest with you. So, yeah, I'm living on the north side of the city. I'm living in Drumcondra, right? And I'm working not far from where I'm living at the moment. Um, but we were told um, last October, shortly after the budget, actually, that um, uh, that, that the house would be put up for sale. Um, so we've had some time to think about it, but um, we haven't been able, we haven't been very fortunate in, in, in our search at all. I'm living with, with three other friends and we're, we're hoping that we might be able to find something together because we've been living together for quite a while now um, and it works. <laughs> but um, we're all young working professionals, you know, all working either in the north side or in the city centre. Um, but it's just been impossible. There's, not, there's nothing available and anything that is available is, is completely out of our budget. And is it better to look as a group of four of you, um, I presume in all in your 20s and 30s, or would it be easier, do you think, if you went went alone and perhaps moved in with strangers? There is rooms available here here and there, and it's mostly off social media that you're going to find these things. You know, every time you go on Daft, any ad for, for a house has been viewed thousands and thousands of times, you know. I've been in Dublin just over two years, the third time that I've had to move. And um, I've been to viewings, plenty of viewings, uh, before I found where I'm living at the moment. And Your third third time in two years, did you say? Yeah, this has been my third move. And the last time was an absolute nightmare for me because I'd given up lease. Um, and then, uh, fortunately, my two of my housemates at the time were a couple and they were moving into their own apartment. So they let me stay with them for about two months before I was able to actually find where I'm living now. Now, fortunately, my, I'm living with friends now um, and they just happened to have a room come up last minute. So I was able to move in with them. Um, but uh, in the process of moving or in the process of looking for a new place at the time, I'd been to plenty of room viewings and the price you were paying for for what you're actually getting was it was it was really grim you know I went to one viewing where there was no window in the room another viewing where there was a window but it was boarded up I was in Fibsborough and uh, I'll never forget it what I realised afterwards the window actually opened into the communal bathroom and there was something like six people living in the house so you were getting basically you, were, you weren't getting any fresh air at all you were getting basically the bathroom air wa wafting into your room and that, that room was was over 700 euro a month you know, there was no living space because it was it was essentially a living room at, uh, at one stage. So this is the kind of thing that you're dealing with. You know what I mean? 
I don't really know what to, what to say to that, Borik, to be honest. I'm laughing and I know I shouldn't be. I'm very fortunate that my landlord is actually a very nice. He's very nice, right? And it's just gotten to a stage where he's um, he, he, he wants to sell up because he's just getting that a bit, that bit older, you know, um, and he's been very, he's been very um, lenient with it. So he's kind of letting us stay for as long as the, the property is in his name. Um, and we're hoping that we'll get we'll get to the summer out of it anyway. At which point, you know, students might be moving out from around where we're living, and we might be able to find something a little bit easier. But at the moment, there's nothing coming up. Philip Ryan, what we heard there is a 29 year old man who has what was once a great job as a primary teacher. Um, seems a very affable, happy, go lucky guy who who's doing his own thing. These are exactly the type of young people that a government surely should want in the public service. Podrick's situation speaks to a lot of problems the government have, specifically around uh, getting people to work in these jobs, getting people to work in uh, primary schools, secondary schools. You can add in there if you want uh, to work in hospitals as nurses, doctors, because the problem is you have all these schools, hospitals, whatever it is, Gardaí, maybe it's the guards, it's the fire brigade, that they're all in built up areas in cities. And that's where the, the housing shortage is, is at its worst. And this is the real knock-on consequence for the government in this scenario, is that people like Porik are going to start thinking about working outside the country and, and move abroad to, to work in Australia, Canada, or wherever else they can get work and housing. My thanks to Chloe Necreodon, Rebecca O'Reardon, and Podrick Wilson-McCarty for sharing their stories today, and to Philip Ryan for joining me in studio. I'm Kevin Doyle, and today's episode of the Indo-Daily was produced by Mary Carroll, researched by Tabitha Monaghan and Paul Hyland, recorded by Niall McMonagall, with sound by John Smith, and with special thanks to Amy Malloy for her assistance. If you enjoy the Indo-Daily, don't forget to like, follow, and leave us a review. <laughs>